Make a move it, then she'll call him. Forest fires, Google's ballin'. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. So it seems that people really didn't like my definition of fantasy. Um, I, um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to play a couple of call-ins from Joe Richter, um, where he, he takes his position. Uh, and then uh, this continued on to the Audio Dungeon Discord server, where hmm, I think there was quite a lot of uh, strong opinions from quite a lot of strong opinion, strongly opinioned people, which might have led to one or two fallings out. Um, I think they were quickly corrected, but um, all I can say is I am sorry to everyone for starting this nonsense. Um, I feel a bit like a person that's farted in an elevator and then got out just bef just as a bunch of other people are getting in and they have to ride up to the top floor with that stink. Um, because I kind of didn't engage in the conversation on Discord, um, and 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 um, you know it uh, it, it, it was uh, a, a few other people uh, like Jason and um, uh, Rob and others that that took up the mantle of of having the argument on my behalf, either for or against. I honestly don't know. But here's some messages from Joe, and um, maybe we can put this one to bed as well. <laughs> What up, Andy? Dude, I'm listening to you talk about modern settings, and I am a little confused because you're talking about how in a modern setting you have the limitless characters you can draw from fiction or media or whatever, but you don't in fantasy. But that's you do. You literally have the same amount of people you can draw from in fantasy. You could just bring someone from Kojak, the show Kojak, into your fantasy setting, like without any any real problem and as far as like when they ask when a player asks the dungeon master oh what's this store next door to the magic shop it's really easy to do to just say you tell me you tell me what it is that brings the player into the world more that gets them more invested in the world world building i feel like should be a joint adventure between player and dungeon master that's how a dungeon master can get that immediate buy-in into the world from the players is by involving them in the world-building process. Like, before we started our Wheel or Woe campaign, I sent out, you know, several emails talking about the world, asking them questions, having them, having my players design locations in the city and in the world in general, and from the get-go from the as soon as we sat down for the first game they were invested in the world uh we didn't have to build anything up because they already understood everything and so it's just when the dungeon master keeps the world secret and it's this is my world this is my story and you're all just playing in it that's when it's hard to get the players to buy in so yeah i don't think it has anything to do with modern or setting or fantasy setting but anyway that's just me peace out out of time peace
So thanks, Joe. Um, as I said, I'll I'll just let this one lie. I think for now. <laughs> I don't hate fantasy. I don't hate D and D. I I um or, or fantasy gaming or high power fantasy gaming or low power fantasy gaming. I don't know. It's just a thing. It's just a thing I have. I I I guess I'm just so um so in love now with with running contemporary or contemporary ish settings that that it's just where my head's at and, and, and I'll return I will return so let's talk about Cthulhu <laughs> um, but uh, I'm just going to use the, the King in Yellow as a as a vehicle for talking about a couple of other things so so um, I wrote a campaign I wrote a mystery campaign I wrote my first ever mystery campaign I didn't know I was doing it at the time I didn't know it was going to be a campaign I didn't really know that I was writing it, which sounds pretty weird. But um, as I've mentioned before, I, I ran a, a game of King in Yellow at GaryCon 2019. Um, not sure why particularly or where I got this idea to do it from. I, I, I just, I, I guess I had a bunch of games I wanted to run and, and some of them were, were, were there ready to run. Others I, I, I had to kind of make up. And... I've been playing a lot of Arkham Horror LCG, and I think it's worth explaining a little bit about that just to give context. So, Arkham Horror Living Card Game is a fabulous game. It, it really is a very good game. It's it's very evil as well um, because um, it makes you spend a lot of money. I read somewhere just the other day that if you bought everything associated with it and all of the kind of peripheral stuff because there's books as well and there's um, special editions and god knows what I think you can drop about $800 on it <laughs> which is insane thankfully I haven't spent anywhere near that but I've spent a lot of money on it and and Fantasy Flight do have a lot to answer for um, I guess if they didn't make such good and compelling games people wouldn't um, wouldn't buy into them in this way but there is something a bit dubious morally about it because um, it's kind of like they know what buttons to press. It's, I suppose it's the cardboard equivalent um, of those in-game purchase games where they get you hooked on a certain amount and then if you want to carry on, if you want to carry on the experience in some way or get better, you, you actually, you know, you're, you're not forced to, but you're encouraged to... to um, spend money on the game itself even though the, the core game is free now of course in this case the core game isn't free and and in a way they're designed so so that um you can't play that much before you have to start spending more money on them the car came up really fast behind me then i probably wasn't paying enough attention anyway um the, the core game of course isn't free um, and you do have to spend money on them pretty soon afterwards if you want to keep playing you've got to buy more scenario packs and, and that's the way it's designed um, you could I suppose keep playing the same scenario again and again but the structure of the game itself isn't, isn't one that, that really lends itself to that necessarily I, I, I've, I've played the starter game of it actually many times because it, it, it is good and it's, it's a good way of, of practicing with playing with different characters and so on and the way it works it's not that dissimilar structurally in a way to the Arkham Horror board game that they've it's been around forever. Um, you have a character. Um, it has certain things it can do. It has its kind of basic abilities. 
um, which are, if I can remember, given how much I've played this, um, like you can fight, you can evade, you can investigate, and you can do something else, and I can't remember what it is. <laughs> um, I think you can... I think it's something to do with your with casting spells or something. I'll have to look at that, this is really embarrassing. And... What the card game adds... You, you have these um, um, kind of spells and artifacts and, and tools and equipment in, in the board game. But what the, the, the card game introduces is, is, is this whole deck building aspect to it where, where you actually pre-design what your character can theoretically do. You, 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 you put certain cards into the deck and then you draw them over time and, and you can add them to your hand and, and then use them in play. And some of them are permanent items, others are allies, some are um, situational abilities. So I've never played Magic the Gathering. It, it's probably similar to that in some ways. Um, but anyway, it's a really good game. But what, what the genius of the Arkham Horror LTG is, is it's not just you battling against other players. It's a cooperative game. And each scenario has a set of somewhat pre-programmed events that will happen based around acts and um, escalating peril for the for the player. Um, there are these doom tokens that once they build up to a certain level, the um, the agenda moves on, and that's the agenda of the you know evil forces. And once you succeed in doing certain things and achieving certain things in the scenario, you can move the act on, which progresses the player towards um, their their um, positive outcome. And if if the um, uh, enemy agenda gets to the end before your you can get um, resolution on your on the acts, the player acts, then you lose the game in some way. Now, um, losing doesn't mean it's the end. You can carry on with the with the campaign. So the campaigns are broken down into um, different um, packs, different scenario packs that build up to a long-term campaign. And what is brilliant is, is the storytelling immersion in the card game. I, I'd never experienced this before or seen anything like this before. I, I think it's, yeah, I think it, the prototype was the Lord of the Rings living card game, but this has taken it apparently to this, this completely new level of of engagement and immersion and it really does create this feeling of being immersed in in the Lovecraftian mythos it's it's fantastic um, certain things are random but other things are are programmed the writing is excellent um, everything is really good about it so I decided um, I don't know <laughs> where that the idea came from but to create a Call of Cthulhu um, role-playing game scenario around one of the campaigns and it was the king in yellow campaign which is really one of the best ones it's it's superb and and now i've done that i've nearly got to the end um, of converting it and we've run almost all of it we think we've got one or two more sessions left i i, I may well do it again because there's such a rich source and, and that's one of the things i want to talk about is 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 bringing um, bringing things in from other media. I, I talked a bit about cliches not being a problem when you import them. And um, I think there's something pretty cool around that. And, and certainly my experience of bringing in the story from the Arkham Horror Living Card Game was, was really positive for me. Um, and and yeah, the um, so, so it was an interesting process because, you know, the way that the card game narrative plays out is is quite different to how a role-playing game narrative plays out, even though at a very high level you could plot this thread through. Obviously, in a role-playing game, the characters can do anything. 
In the card game, it's, it is quite programmed, even though there are, there are these two tracks and you don't know which one will advance first. Um, it's written in a way where it doesn't sort of matter that they can kind of take any position in the order and it sort of still makes narrative sense. It does still make narrative sense. Um, there are locations and there are enemies and there are story elements. So together, these sort of comprise a role-playing game scenario, but they don't quite <laughs> because the connective tissue is missing. And by that, I mean a lot of what's written on the cards it sort of infers stuff. And if you are willing to kind of role play it in your own head as you go through, the story becomes fleshed out. But equally, you can play it just as a card game where that's just flavor. And what you're doing is tactically playing the right card at the right time to get a high enough number to overcome whatever challenge is in front of you. And, and, and you, you have to fight creatures, you have to overcome perils, you have to deal with um, strange psychic effects caused by by the mythos you have to avoid going insane or, or being defeated physically um but in a role-playing game it's not quite as structured as that so it was interesting what i did is i i just teased out the lo first of all i teased out the location so the way that the card game works is the locations are laid out on the table in the simplest form all the locations are put down on the table and you can move from one to the other from one card to the next as if it was a map of some kind so i sort of did that um and converted a, a, a layout of cards into a drawn map um initially of the um of the theater um, of the Ward Theatre in, in Arkham, because um, that's where the very first act um, happens. The players go to see the King in Yellow. Um, first act is extremely boring. They fall asleep during the intermission, and when they wake up, something pretty horrible has happened. Uh, they're, they're in an empty, a more or less empty auditorium uh, theatre, and, um, and there's the smell of rotting bodies and some pat other patrons asleep in inverted commas, in their seats. But everything seems to have moved on years and years and years. The the walls are, are dirty and the, the, the curtain is torn and everything is faded and there's that terrible stench in the air. And that's the beginning of the story. So I mapped out these different locations and within the ward theatre there's multiple locations. There There is this great set piece where the royal emissary flops down onto the stage and starts bellowing out its 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 um, uh, mythos version of, of, of Pavarotti um, that basically sends you mad and it's this huge red moored tentacled bl blood red creature just singing insane uh, insane hymns to, to the great old ones. Um, so yeah, and, and then the characters, the pre-made, the pre-gen characters were based, or of course based around the characters that you can play in, in the game. And what's nice about the, 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 the living card game is that each character is very distinctive, as I said before, very, um, very neatly drawn. Um, there's not a lot of information about them, but, but each one has unique kind of, um, background, um, very vivid uh, they they have unique abilities. I didn't so much translate that over. That didn't seem to to matter so much. Although a little bit, Agnes Baker, the waitress who who is a um, emerges as a as a spellcaster. She she kind of finds her her um, arcane abilities in the game. You know, I gave her a spell to start with. Just she has this amulet, this heirloom that she she's somehow able to use to cast spells. 
and um, you know uh, William Yorick, the grave digger, the, the, the failed actor <laughs> William Yorick, uh, always quoting Hamlet. Um, he uh, he has his shovel. <laughs> you know, he he walks around with a shovel, and um, you know that's a pretty good weapon. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other characters. Mark Harrigan, the, the ex-soldier, he's he's handy with a gun and uh, is always on the edge of of breaking down. Um, and uh, the dilettante Jenny Barnes, she has her twin thirty-eight revolvers in her purse, of course. Uh, excellent characters, all of them. And there's a bunch more. They're all really, really good characters. So so those were the pre-gens. And, um, and it worked. It actually bloody worked. I, I was quite surprised. What I found was, though, after writing it, um, um, and, and, and more or less just taking the text from the cards and then stitching it together, is I had to make a lot of stuff up on the fly because it just didn't accommodate the weird things that the characters would want to do. Like there's this part where you go to the doors of the theatre after waking up and you look outside and you see these twin yellow suns of Carcosa. You've somehow been transported to Carcosa. Now, in the card game, you cannot go out of those doors. There's literally no way out. But my players wanted to go out the door and I, I had to suddenly <laughs> think, OK, what the hell's going to happen? Um, I said that the, that the sky seems to be on fire and a nearby tree is just spontaneously igniting. And, um, but there's this strange metal thing leaning against the tree looking like some kind of very advanced gun. This was a lightning gun. <laughs> I was like, OK, let's see what. And, 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 the, and one of them took, took it upon himself to rush outside, burning himself very badly, picks up this, this um, weapon and comes back. And that enables them to kill the royal emissary. So, yeah, a bunch of stuff had to be made up, and and that was my first, the first session of running it was 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 running the the the, the ward theatre, um, and then and then the the, the the then it moves on to um, the after party, the cast party at the um, the house of Constance Dumaine, a, a local um, patron of the arts. And that is another excellent scenario, but it didn't work very well. And I'll and I'll tell you why it didn't work very well um, for RPG. At least to my mind, it didn't work very well. I'll I'll, I'll tell you that next. And I, this is where why I think it didn't really work. That second scenario, um, the first scenario was actually easy to convert and work well because. You're putting the players into a strange environment and they encounter strange creatures that they have to deal with. So so the transition from card game to role-playing game wasn't that difficult. It was also fitted well within um, a very familiar set of tropes for me um, uh, in terms of games design of, of uh, you know, fighting creatures and, and exploration. The second scenario at um, the house of Constance Domain. That is a pure investigation and mystery uncovering story. And yet the way it's handled mechanically in the living card game is that you're not really uncovering the mystery. You move from location to location and you do an investigate role, as it were, and you get a certain number of clues. And when you've built up a certain number of clues, then you can move forward in the story. Now, of course, <laughs> that would be an insane way to run a role-playing mystery. And and, and and here's the rub. Writing a mystery um, in, in, in a role-playing game is bloody hard, I've realised. It's really, really hard. And my hat goes off to... Um, uh, you know those amazing writers of of the Master of Nile Arthatep, um, and the and the and the contemporary writers like Scott Dawood and Paul Fricker, um, uh, who 
who have this facility are writing mysteries, are writing amazing mysteries. And, and the way that a mystery really has to play out in a Call of Cthulhu scenario is, is you have to follow leads, you have to talk to people, you have to piece together little bits of information. Um, and, and the mystery can be mapped out as a clue diagram. In fact, in fact they are in, in, um, you know, in, in the new version of Master Night and Architect. You get these very um, handy little clue web diagrams at the start of each chapter that show you how each piece of information connects to the other and where they can lead you to what locations and what people now i didn't do any of that i didn't i didn't um design the structure of it on that level i just put the characters in um the npcs and the locations and i and i said okay go at it go and talk to them and the character interactions were fun no doubt because there's nice little um snippets of things they tell you but none of them really are meaningful. None of them really help you get to the end of the scenario. And I think that's where I failed, is that I did not tie in the character interactions with the NPCs into any kind of um, uncovering or revelation. Um, they were just kind of scenery, and they were fun scenery. But really, everything was propelling towards this denouement where the, um, the man in the pallid mask would unveil himself to be Hasta, and then, and then um, you... you get killed <laughs> or, or you can avoid it if you can if you can if you can somehow destroy um um miss divine miss divine is this witch this wizard that the order that turns up um halfway through the party and now the party really will begin and she has this um amulet herself that if you can destroy that or get it off her then somehow you can overcome it and it doesn't hurt firing a lightning gun a few times it has to it you know it'll probably just annoy him but maybe distract him long enough for you to do something anyway so there was no connection really between the clue chain, um, which was sort of non-existent, and 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 the ending. And I and I think if I'm ever going to write a proper mystery, I would have to figure that shit out because, um, you know, I've I've subsequently then converted all the other parts of the story, and it has been fun. It's there's no question. It's been great fun both to run and to play. And I'm sorry, Che. I know that fun is not a word that you approve of. <laughs> Jay Webster from Roleplay Rescue. Um, it's been thrilling. It's been compelling. It's been it's been dramatic. It's been horrifying. Um, the role playing has been has been exquisite from the players, and um, and it might be worth talking next about playing with new players. Um, but I'll get onto that in a minute. So so um, I then converted every other part of that campaign, and it's taken them to Arkham Asylum, and then it's taken them to Paris. And then it's taken them on a chase through the streets of Paris to, to find um, Nigel Engram, the director, the foot director of the play, The King in Yellow, um, and encounters with the man in the pallid mask and crazy stuff going on in, in Parisian churches and then, and then the catacombs below Paris. And then, they, um, and then they get the train to Mont Saint-Michel out on the west coast of France. And then I inserted a quick Le Poire murder mystery there just to spice things up a bit. And... Um, then they head to Mont Saint Michel, and and um, and and then and then the gate opens to Carcosa, and we haven't got to that last bit yet. But it's been great. But at no point, I would say, has there ever been any mystery. So per se, there's been little snippets of it, but it's really been. I, have a shameful admission it's been a little bit of a railroad but it's been a railroad which we've all loved riding on so it's kind of okay is it it's okay isn't it oh god oh god railroading uh, so 
I think it's been a, a fantastic campaign, but at no point during it have I figured out how to construct a mystery where um, the uncovering of clues will move the players forward, which, unlike in, in the Mars campaign, where, where it's all about that, where the players' decision-making and understanding of what's going on is purely generated by their interaction with NPCs and, and the discovery of clues and information. And I will need to think long and hard if, if, if I'm capable of even creating a scenario like that. Uh, maybe I'll try next time around. But yeah, bringing new players into the game. That's a big one. Bringing new players into the game and, and playing with new players. And, and I both mean, I mean, in both senses, new to you and players that are entirely new to role-playing. And, um, and with the King in Yellow, um, I had both. Um, so the group that I've been running it mostly with are, are actually three people that played in the first Kong game back in 2019. Archie, Nikki, and Kenneth. And I love how... I love gamers. <laughs> on the whole, some of them aren't so good. There's a whole thing going on Facebook right now, literally right now, with Derek Dishaw, who's Venger Satanis, um, another one of these, well, let's, put, let's call them scumbags, for want of a better word, um, posting up a lot of horrible stuff about Black Lives Matters. Um, and he's being kind of ostracized for it quite rightly by by a bunch of people and good on them i'm not going to get into the whole thing again i'm not gamers are great gamers are great people but you know there's always going to be a few assholes in any group and um how miraculous it is i put up a game um my first ever convention a bunch of random people turned up and out of them three of them i stayed in touch with and we decided we'd you know, you, we were going to meet up again at this year's Gary Con, and of course that didn't happen. So I ran the game online for them, and it turned out that there was a you know, and I knew that perhaps running a con game for the first time with people, you're not quite sure, but turns out there was amazing chemistry between all four of us. And somehow, out of nowhere, I found a new gaming group, and we've now been playing, I don't know, like seven, eight, nine sessions something like that we're coming to a close and and we're all talking about what we're going to do next and um and i think i'm going to run the two-headed serpent for them um another pulp a pulp cthulhu campaign that that really this set seems awesome i think it is awesome but anyway um so yeah the the chemistry has been fantastic the the, the role playing the cat the, the the way they've inhabited the characters the creativity um, they've spurred me on to, to great things and together we've created this this campaign and it's 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 wonderful um, and I don't I'm sure I've said this before but what other what other activity can you meet people spend very little time with them and and, and get to such a, such a profound level of connection with I don't think there's any but it is a weird kind of connection because I know that Archie lives somewhere in New Jersey. I, I really, I have no idea actually where Kenneth and Nikki live. They're, they're, they're um, a couple um, and they live together, but I don't know where they live. And that's so weird that, that you, you can kind of explore these realms of imagination together, inhabit these other worlds. Um, and, and yet you don't know even the first thing about them as people. 
but you do you, you, you know who they are inside maybe it's just some of the facts and the, the externalities that you don't know <laughs> I know who they are. I, I think we all know each other inside because when you role play with people you, you, you are getting to know a very interior part of them that probably doesn't come out anywhere else or, or in many other places um, now the other thing <laughs> and I will try and find some, some evidence for this because I actually recorded another group playing the King in Yellow actually starting from the beginning starting from that scenario that I ran back in GaryCon and that group was my wife and two of our old close friends from England um, who had never played a role-playing game before in their lives. Um, so it was me and my wife and, and um, Claire and Simon, um, who, who are married to each other, have a, have a slightly older kid than ours, and, and they're, they're dear friends of ours. I've, I've known them for a long time. But they'd never played a role-playing game before. But um, I can't remember exactly how, but I'd got them into... Um, I got them into Arkham Horror, the LCG, I think. What was it? How did it? Yes, we went to stay with them. We went to stay with them in England, in, in London. Um, uh, I guess it would have been two. I think it was two Christmases ago. Yeah. Um, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm thinking about it because this Christmas we were all sick and we couldn't go and see people. And my daughter had scarlet fever, of all things. Is that a thing? That is a thing. I might have talked about it. Anyway, doesn't matter. Scarlet fever. Um, yeah, so we, we went to stay with them. I took around the game because um, we were re- really at the peak of our enthusiasm for it at that time. And, and, and we played a, a couple of scenarios, or played most of a scenario with them. And they got hooked and they bought it. And, 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 and they were, you know, middle of lockdown. We were trying to think of ways which we could spend time together online. And, and Claire suggested we play a board game. And I, lo- I looked into whether it was possible to play Arkham Horror um, remotely online and it isn't really I mean I think there are some platforms where you can play board games but they require a lot of customization set up and I don't know I don't, I don't think it's very feasible so instead I said well how about playing a role playing game would you be into that and, and initially I was thinking we'd play Tales from the Loop and then and then I thought no that, that might be a little bit I don't know it requires more of you I think as a role player um, so instead instead we um, we ran the, the King in Yellow and um and it was fascinating. It was really fascinating. So fascinating playing with, with two people, the majority of the playing group, um, who, who had never touched an RPG before and didn't know, un, didn't know anything about how they work. Uh, my wife is not a very um, frequent player either, so she's a bit of a novice as well. So it was fascinating hearing some of the, some of the things that they assumed or thought. And um, if I can find them... I have these two clips now that I will play for you, which, um, well, let's put it this way. They really show how, how your understanding of other game types can really um, affect what you consider a game to be or a role-playing game and, 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 um, and, and how different it can be. So I'll play these two clips now if I can find them. If we all run away, that rather does that, what does that do to the story? Nothing. I mean, the story is completely kind of improvised as we go along. Okay, so I didn't find them. <laughs> I must have spent, I don't know how long I spent looking for them, I couldn't find them. So let me summarise. Let me summarise for you. So um, what Claire said 
on two occasions. They, they, I, I found these two things fascinating. That was the sound of my sunroof closing. Um, I found these two things fascinating. The first thing she said was... Um, they were exploring the Ward Theatre. And there were a couple of kind of places they hadn't gone to yet. They knew they were there. They were locations they hadn't been to. They had a pretty much a motivation to do, do something. And what Claire said was, oh, oh no, no, we've got to go and, and, and go to those other two places. Otherwise, we wouldn't have done the whole thing. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, that's a really interesting way to look at it. And, and my response to her was... Oh, no, no, look, it doesn't matter. You don't have to see every, every place or every location. You can just do whatever you want. And, you can... and, and, and in some ways, I sort of understood her point of view is that, you know, it is nice to see the whole dungeon. You know, a lot of people want to loot every room. But it was very much this, this idea that somehow there was this set experience that you had to have and, and I was leading them through it. And, and I know I've talked a little bit in the past about my railroading. I wasn't really railroading them. I was giving them, I was asking them at all times, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? The, the usual stuff. But it was fascinating, really, that, that um, she had this idea that you kind of had to do everything um, in order to finish somehow. <laughs> really interesting. And, um, and then the second thing she said, um, which if, if I did find the clip, you'll have heard that as well. Um, the second thing she said was, um, was, oh no, because if we die, so she said, she said something like, what happens if we die? Do we have to start again from the beginning? <laughs> and I was just laughing. I was saying, no, 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 it doesn't really work like that. Um, it's a good question. You know, what happens if you die? If you don't really know how an RPG works? Um, I suppose you're going to be, be be wondering what happens. Like it's, uh, and I guess she thought it was a video game, like a video game that um, if you if you die at a certain point, um, you know, you haven't haven't got to a save point, as it were, then you have to go back and do the level again. <laughs> I mean, that must have been her mental model, I suppose. And my response to her was kind of interesting. I said, I said, well, look, there's three things that can happen, okay? <laughs> there's three things that can happen. There's three things we, we, which we can handle this. One, that's the end of the game. <laughs> we just say that is the conclusion. You're dead, and that's it, and we, we, can, we can move on. <laughs> so that's, that's option one. Option two is we... Um, We'll just have to... We create new characters and you kind of pick up the threads or continue somehow from where we left off. Um, I mean, obviously, we're assuming a TPK now for simplicity's sake. Obviously, if only one character dies, then then generally, yes, you, you just give a replacement character, so it's easy. But if there's a TPK, then, then the choices are a little bit um, more variable, you know? Maybe it doesn't make sense to, to carry on. I mean, Master Nile Arthotep is notorious for, for grinding in, in its original form, for, for just being a, a meat grinder. And there are stories of people, you know, parties going through 30 characters by the time they got to the end and, and then losing, just losing the thread and losing the motivation because what on earth do the, the, the characters 25 to 30 have to do with, with everything that's gone before? They've got nothing to do with it. Anyway. But I think in a in a short campaign you could somehow narratively figure it out. They all have important people in their backgrounds, and they can connect maybe 
to that and, and bring them in. And then, and then I said, look, and, and look, the, the third thing is we start a different game. You know, we don't stop playing. We'll just say, okay, well, they died, and we'll create new characters, and we'll 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 run a different game. And um, and I think that was just a bit of a bit of a head fuck for for her because you know that isn't how things work in in, in other in other games. You know, in other games, you know, once the win lose condition is reached, you you either put the box away or you, or you play a second game. Um, with the, of the same game, so yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, now, I have I, I did actually record all of our sessions, but I somehow felt that it would have been a bit unfair to put them up as actual plays. Not that we they didn't play play a really nice game, but it's it's almost like. And to be honest, I actually did this with Bert, with my friend Bert. <laughs> but it is a bit; it would be a bit um, exposing, a bit too challenging, I think, to 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 put someone's very first RPG up as an actual play. Um, I, I sort of asked them if they mind if I recorded it. I didn't say I am going to um, to make make a podcast out of this, but um, but they gave me permission to record. Um, but I felt that's not the same as giving me permission to put up an actual play. But um, but. I think it's okay putting those little clips up if, if I did manage to find them. We're now in... in, in uh, I'm trying to predict the future right now. So I, I think that's that's probably about it for today. I feel like this has been a bit of a rambly one. When isn't it? I think is, is the re- refrain from everyone listening. But um, but I think there's some interesting stuff there, for sure. I, I want to dig deeper into... I, I'm getting the bug now to write, um, write a mystery, a proper mystery. Um, I just this afternoon finished writing the final chapter, or the final sessions for, for The King in Yellow. Um, it was really good fun writing them because... In a way, you're you're recapitulating a lot of the stuff that's gone before. That's kind of the cycle with King in Yellow, is that these strange things repeat and and are echoed. The past and the future are compressed into one, and the play becomes reality, and reality becomes the play, and, and all kinds of lovely stuff like that. So, um, at some point in the future, you might be able to hear that. Um, I'm not going to give an after game report. Um, we're actually playing tomorrow. Tomorrow Saturday, we'll be playing then. Um, um, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, catch you next time. It's a game we're role-playing I'm a stranger and you're making mistakes